Okay, so for some of you, I imagine if you're out in Hong Kong or Malaysia, it's getting evening. And if you're in America, Canada, United States, probably what, your morning, noon? Yeah, sure, morning. Um, perhaps early morning. So um, we have another uh, three and a half hours. So it's, I think for the people in the, in the West, it's going to be up, going up, and for the people in the East, it's going to be <laughs> perhaps a little bit of a struggle to get to the end, a late night maybe. But um, let's see what you can make of it, uh, this opportunity. These are lifetime practices, actually. So the topic today, if you've just tuned in, unrestricted awareness. Uh, and... Uh, just that sense in which one's take awareness, chitta, heart, receptivity, sensitivity, you know, and uh, when that's open and unrestricted to the degree to which you experience that, it's it's a feeling of ease. And so the sense that the Buddha said nibbana is the highest, deepest degree of ease because there's nothing, nothing kind of conflicting or or uh, poking it, or disturbing it, or compressing it. For the unawakened mind, the unreleased mind, the chitta is always being restricted by consciousness, sense consciousness. And we feel bound within a place, or a time, within constraints that are determined by our visual focus, our auditory focus, our tactile experience is pretty narrow you know, bound inside a body. And, of course, the mental consciousness, where the mind, manos, the mano-vijnana, is constantly creating and moving around conceptual structures. Days of the week. Um, what's that? Uh, what I should be. What's that? Uh, Belonging to a nation, what's that? Uh, profession, well, how real is that? How deep is that? Uh, and of course, many, many um, permutations of that theme. Uh, constructing other people, and impressions of others, of what they want, what they don't want, and impressions of ourselves, what we should be and shouldn't be. Um, so these hermine awareness, it's constantly stirred by the qualities that arise within that context. And any qualities that arise within that context must be disturbed because it's like, I use the image of compressing the ocean into a hosepipe. It's going to be charged. Yeah. And when you have, directly you can experience, when you have bodily tension or constriction, you really feel it. And when you're emotionally panicking or, or seized by something, you feel seized, you feel gripped by fear or passion or conviction or dogma, your own or other people's. It's quite frightening just to feel how squashed and compressed your heart can be by mental constructions. Now, what are these mental constructions? So, 
the list of the five aggregates you have form feeling perception mental activities mental formations and consciousness and mental formations are the activities that constantly formulate um, the restrictions of the citta. The word here is sankara, and you'll see that translated in different, many different ways. Now these sankara, sankara is said to formulate the other aggregates. That is, when we experience form, we experience really a mental notion of form. Yeah. I imagine if you, you know, you regard a body, you probably look at the skin and the outer surface of it, and that's the body. Well, when you experience it directly, no, it's not. Body experience directly, it's qualities that are constantly shifting. Uh, pressures, warms, tingles, pulses, flows, and so forth. It's not this cut-out thing that you see with your eyes and your mind says, oh, that's... Let alone, whatever mental activities you make around it, whatever judgments you make around that visual appearance. Activities, mental formations, sankharas also formulate feeling. How does this happen? Well, uh, there are a number, any number of things can contact the eye, the ear, the nose, or the mind. In fact, there are almost boundless possibilities for mental contact, for something to contact you, your mind. You remember, you imagine, you fantasize, you speculate, uh, and so forth. Mm. Past, future, self, and other. Mm. Now, what happens is that the the mental activity of attention shifts to a certain location and goes on to that. So of all the possibilities that one could be receiving any given moment, attention, which is a sankara, limits, says, oh, just that one, focus on that one, focus on that one. That's an, that's an activity, that's, an, that's a restriction. It says, attention means forget 95% and focus on the five. Hmm. They say the thief sees a house and sees whether the doors are locked. Doesn't look at the view, doesn't look at the architecture. So what is it that drives attention? Intention. There's some motivation going on. So in this way, attention and intention are the mental activities that restrict one's mental field to certain objects limited by what one attends to and why one attends. So if there's a defensive mentality, then we notice the things that could go wrong, frighteners. If it's a pleasure-seeking mentality, we look at the things that could please us and delight us. Yeah. Yeah. And so, by and large, this process is uh, driven by a good degree of self-interest. Yeah. You know, what will be pleasant for me? What's going to attack me? What do I dislike? Yeah. 
what what disappoints me and we notice that don't like the colour of the carpet don't like the stain on the linen you know uh, and so forth so therefore the possibilities of what one could be receiving are limited by the motivation the intentionality of the of the chitta and and it arises in the chitta the chitta is looking for something uh, and looking for something based upon its identity program I want something for me or I want to make sure I'm going to be okay so I look at things that could be un-okay and then attention scans around the field of sight, sounds and thoughts for what fulfills that motivation so negative mood, one can think of all the bad things one has done or things that have been done to me, yada, 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 so on. Uh, Fault-finding mind, I can see the faults in other people. Uh, compassionate mind, one can look at people with an eye of compassion. Uh, and you look at the results of those. Compassion itself is a direction, is a something that uh, has an attention to it. It's generally of a much wider and inclusive span than craving. Craving very much narrows everything down uh, and, and divides. Compassion tends to open up and include everything. So these are the mental activities. They formulate what we will feel and what we will perceive, perception. That is, what, where do meanings arise? So this is called karma dependent upon what's what's happened to you or what been involved with you have particular meanings you might feel that dogs are hostile creatures or dogs are lovable creatures so every time you see a dog you want to cuddle one or you want to you feel nervous about them. that dog has a, has got a meaning to it right that meaning's been concocted by an incident that happened 10 years ago and so by and large when attention scans, it tries to fit current experiences into these meaning boxes. Oh, that's one of those, that's one of those, that looks like that'll be interesting, that looks disgusting, I like that colour, ooh, that's horrible. And of course, um, you know, looking into, look at, you see an apple and it's look purple, you don't like the look of that. But if you see grapes that look purple, that's great. Meanings, perceptions. Of course, the big one is other people, you know. She looked at me with a hostile look. You know, his tone of voice was very aggressive. She gave me a nice smile. This means, ding, 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 ding. A little things aroused. Negative or, or affirmative things. Or things that give pleasant feeling. A lot of this meaning is actually not that deep. People are eminently dupable. Politician gives a nice smile and says if you amiable non-entities, oh yeah, let's vote for him. It's because he's saying the slogan that's attractive or got a countenance that's admirable or a joke or two or, you know. So these meanings are sometimes, are often really quite superficial. Superficial attractions and superficial aversions and we also acquire biases and prejudices, you know. My father had a rough time with Bulgarians. I don't like Bulgarians. <laughs> or something like that. 
of course you get racism coming into that and so we slot specifics into generic categories a specific person becomes one of those that's the nature of perception is to take a particular experience and put it into a category oh he's one of those she's one of that that gesture means this you know put it into a, a general category and those categories are created Customs, for example, very obvious one. Different cultures have different customs, so a custom in one culture might be completely bewildering in another culture. Why do people shake hands, you know? Uh, and rituals and so forth can be very confusing when you come to a different culture. I mean, Buddhism, we get down their hands and knees and bow. So, you know. <laughs> Now hands and knees, put your head on the floor. What's he doing? <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> so these are perceptions, and they're fabricated, concocted. And uh, that's the way the conditioned world goes. Um, and um, one reckons there'd be a lot of restriction around that, a lot of uh, you know, this is the right way to do it. A lot of blind obedience training around customs and conventions. A lot of dogmatism around customs and rituals. A lot of nationalism around histories and narratives. And so on. Unwholesome. What happens with that? There's a sense of division and the, the potential of the awareness to spread in a much more even field over all that is experienced is extremely limited. You get tunnel vision on personal perceptions and interpretations. And the ones that stick longest and become most deeply incised are the ones that have the strongest ability to trigger you. Right? So if something didn't figure much at all, Zali probably barely even noticed it something profoundly moved you in terms of pleasure or pain, you get the triggering of, oh, I want one of those, or, oh, no, you know, or even fight. Fight, flight, um, you know, or, or, or grab hold of pleasure pain. So perceptions are always bound up with feeling. And so it's a very restrictive experience whereby we're actually constantly being triggered because these perceptions are then stored as default patterns in the way our mental behavior comes out they're the default patterns you see something and you're triggered you know you do the same thing they become the default mode so you're very narrow track and clearly there are some perceptions extremely volatile you know, um, you look at politics, you only have to mention one or two politicians' names, you can feel yourself getting charged up, triggered by what? What is actually at that moment a sound triggering a perception in your mind. People's expressions can also have the same effect. You know, a nice big smile, you feel loved. People don't smile, you feel confused or lost, triggered.
and the mind. What am I supposed to go forward, go back? Uh, supposed to be, not supposed to be, and we're getting it right. Activations. Very restrictive. And then that um, compulsive, so the most most deepestly incised perceptions, the defaults are compulsive. The ones that have created the strongest level of feeling or most constantly reiterated or that you've been most activated by, all that creates, deepens and strengthens the default pattern of where your mind, your attention, your intentions and your ways of trying to cope with it will operate. So you can spend much of a meditation retreat just coping with, you know, history, which is, you know, in some ways, it's not there. But the mind goes to the places where it's most, it's default patterns, it's most compulsively incised patterns. It runs down into those mostly deeply incised tracks, trajectories and patterns. You know, so every time the energy runs down, that it cuts it a bit deeper. Take the image of, say, of, of water falling on a plane. The water just goes into the ground. Now, if you've got a groove in that plane, the water runs down that groove. It becomes a stream, doesn't it? Keep that stream running. It becomes a river. Eventually, it becomes a deep river. Other pieces of land start to crumble into the river. It becomes a mighty river, you know, with a torrent flowing down it. So all the water will run down that river. Similarly, when we these patterns and habits in the mind, in the mental activities, so that you sit there in meditation and you immediately go to your worry pattern or your uh, doubt pattern or your personal history and regurgitate what's been done and not been done. And in meditation particularly, it becomes apparent that the sum total of all that patterns and activities is the historical self. When I sit and meditate, I am busy being me. <laughs> Even if I don't sit and meditate, that is, in other words, if I turn off external simulation, external simulation, stimulation having something to do, you know, which tends to put a cap on it or, or layer over it, what arises are the default tendencies, you know, and, you know, suddenly there you are in your memories and bad moods and uncertainties and anxieties, you know, the most compulsive ones, and the most compulsive ones are generally unpleasant, unfulfilled desires, go back to them again and again, if only, oh wow, if, if I could, oh yeah, yeah. Unresolved wounds, or oh, tribunals. You should have done this. You shouldn't have done that. Yeah. So the so the weird thing is, the sum total of it is, we are attracted to our suffering. Not because it's pleasant, because it's compulsive. The gradient runs down into the the, the dukkha track. 
yeah the pieces we have been able to release back out of the narrow trap into something broader so much so that that very sense of the compulsive becomes the baseline of what I am and I start operating my life from that baseline I have to have this, I can't stand that, I need to be with this, I really have to be with that, I don't want that, I don't know about that, this is where I'm going. Birth, ageing, sickness, death, here we come. Dukkha, here we come. And you don't have to wait long for that to happen. So, and all that keeps on very busy feeding the defaults, feeding the default self-pattern, which is always incomplete always unfulfilled you know so it's like throwing things into a black hole no matter how much you put into it because it's nature what we experience ourselves as is the compulsive unresolved uh, experience either things we regret things we long for things we wish we were things we want to be what other people think of us what i think of me and so on what i think of other people and so on so that is the sum total of the constricted is called the person and for the unawakened mind that that very baseline is not challenged at all yeah of course I'm a person I'm a good person I'm a pretty good person I like other people I want to be with this person not that person what kind of person are you? it's like saying, well, what kind of disease have you got? <laughs> I, I got worry, anxiety, compulsive greed and, and doubt. How about you? <laughs> what have you got? <laughs> With some good intentions. Let's, let's, let's brighten up. Definitely some good intentions there. And yet, yeah. And you want to... We're recognising we have to come from that constricted baseline... <laughs> You know, the, the person, is there a way out? I say, yes, there is. Well, start cultivating good intention, clear intention, intention praised by the wise, that's going to take you out of the narrow state to something wider, such as the intention of goodwill, the intention of forgiveness, the intention of tolerance, the intention of equanimity, the intention of... Gladness and appreciation, intention of gratitude. Not these are not a social service that you've got to do it for somebody else. It's just stop your heart getting so constricted. Widen it. Always a good cultivation to do it any time of day. Just re recollect, may others be well, may I be well. Bring to mind those you feel grateful for, those you feel compassion for. Uh, bring to mind your aspirations for virtue and clarity. Just really get it so that you, feel, you can feel it as something. Oh, yeah. It's kind of personal and yet it's not personal. It's deeply subjectively felt, but it's no longer all I want. It's much more the motivation is Dharma Chanda, motivation towards Dharma, towards the whole picture, towards the order in general. You know, to a, a balanced, harmonious state of being rather than a self-oriented state of being. And we can do this.
And of course, if we didn't do this, we'd be completely crazy. Dana, for example. Pretty easy thing to do. Now, as you recognize, well, how is meditation? What kind of intention is there to meditate? What does that mean? It means several things. The word meditation is an umbrella word that covers a number of cultivations. Um, just even recollecting and acknowledging moment of time whether what arises in your mind, your mental construction, is this constricting you or freeing you. If your mental construction is towards this has to happen and that has to happen, it's going to be restricted. So keeping it broad. This is kind of a attitudinal shift. By and large, people want clarity, rational clarity around what's going on, what's supposed to happen. Who are you? Uh, what, what did happen yesterday? Can we, you know, they want this sense of clarity. And uh, uh, living in this quantum chaotic universe, all you say is there is no. <laughs> yeah. It's all depends which way you're looking at it. People want to know, you know, who are you? What, what are you about? Depends what you're referring to. People want to create, I definitely know you. What are you referring to? Definitely know yourself. What are you referring to? Something that's changing, shifting, moving around, up, down. Open, closed, sleepy, joyful. What were you referring to? If you do get definitely a feeling, a really clear definition, feel what your mind feels like when you get a very clear definition of another person or what's going on. Just feel what your mind feels like. And I tell you, if you look out for it, it may feel really, yeah, 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 great, great, feeling good. If you look at the energy of it, it is constricted. So it's an attitudinal shift. And this refers in meditation not just to the... because the quality of feeling and perception is extremely significant for the chitta, extremely, extremely significant for the heart. That, that's what it's guided by. So extremely significant. One really looks to those. And the teaching is, yes, you, the chitta will always look to perception and feeling for its take on reality. Now, can you trust the feelings that come from sense consciousness? Their immediate flash hit. How long have you been around to really get that one, that those are not reliable? Feelings that come just from, say, emotional contact. People go up and down, pleasure, pain, agreement, disagreement. Friendships just based upon emotional warmth are inadequate. 
you know, it's not there shouldn't be any emotional warmth, but it's got to be bigger than that. There's got to be things like trust, respect, um, space, mm. Mm. protocol, behaviour, not just more warmth. <laughs> because just the ordinary immediate feeling that comes from contact or from particular contact perceptions is extremely transient and slippery and giddying. We get intoxicated with it. Absolutely. Sights, sounds can be extremely alluring. Yeah. Provocative, exciting. Tastes, touches, extremely captivating. The jitter dives into them, is buried in them. People lose their, their wits under the pressure of sense, sense contact. But the feeling that's based upon respect, grounded, where the jitter, instead of feeling the sense object, feels itself. Instead of feeling the contact impression of the sight or the sound or the gesture or whatever, instead of externally driven, it's feeling its, its own steadiness, its own openness, its own uh, beauty. This feeling is then a feeling that doesn't constrict and it is accompanied by skillful inclinations. And this is trust. Mm -hmm. I trust. And with trust, you don't need to be that clear about the future, the past, or what's going on. You trust it. Chitta is open, feels good and balanced in itself, not perturbed by worry, agitation, planning, doubt. So cultivating in line with this, the feeling that comes from skillful cultivation and skillful intention is a feeling that is easeful rather than stimulating. Very important to, to sense that. And of course, particularly you know, with one's fellow beings, human beings, Hopefully there is a good amount of warm feeling, you know, there's a certain pleasure in being with other people. When does it become attachment compulsively fixated and then the disappointment and then the quarrelling? Or when does it become enough so that there's a sense of, you know, respect and clarity around you know, negotiated contact, negotiations with others, and sometimes don't mean that it's not exactly the way I'd like it. You know, that doesn't, Sangha life particularly, community life particularly, it's not exactly the right time, the right place, or the right person, or the right gesture that I would particularly find at the top of my list of feeling. <laughs> sometimes it's really quite down the, quite down the list. And <laughs> Yeah, but the sense of just, okay, I, I can be with that, I can be with that, that's good. I have no regret about that. So there are different shades of feeling, aren't there? Those that lead to restriction and those that lead out of it. Different kinds of meaning. The meanings that give rise to, say, uh, uh, 
intensity, uh, passion, uh, fear, uh, mistrust. You don't want to stay with those because they will cut, they will slice and incise deep, traumatic and disturbing patterns in your chitta. Should incline towards perceptions where there's a sense of trust, cooperation, respect, honesty, morality, you know, dispassion, letting go, which means you can be who you, who you are right now, that's fine. And myself also. No pressure to... And with these, all these cultivations are immensely um, benefited and in fact founded and established on certain core characteristics that you can witness for yourself. These are not pieces of dogma. You can witness for yourself. Is it not true that feeling changes? Is it not true that your perceptions change and shift and mobile? Is it not true? The form, if you, if you regard it, is really like a candle flame. It's a flickering, shifting thing. When you feel it directly in your own body, what is it? Fluid, flexing, changing, pulsing. Is it not true that mental activity is constantly bustling away? Is that not true? Ani Chang. Yeah. Yesterday's happiness is finished. <laughs> and today it's, we've got to, right? Could be this or that or the other. Is it not true? Yesterday's terrible, never again, is now a thing of the past. The most obvious fact, an chunk, impermanence, changeability. You just keep framing what's felt, sensed, meant, uh, formulated by the mind as changing, subject to change, inconstant, and often based upon something that changes. How can, right? So say, I like you because of the shape of your body or something. Well, how long is that going to be that way? I like you because, I don't know, some manner or another. How solid is that going to be? So we can, yeah, it's all, then don't base your mental intentions upon things that are bound to be changeable. You, you know, and you, well, can you have some say over that so you're not bonding to forms, perceptions, experiences that are the nature to break up? It's heartbreaking. You know, it really does, it really is heartbreaking. Uh, I mean, we can't allow things to end and pass and change and move away. That's their nature. So these are things that Anichang, Dukkha, sorry, all created forms are subject to defects. Not necessarily wretched, but they're incomplete or they've got a defect in them or something that doesn't quite fit. Yeah. I like him a lot except for his sense of humour is a bit adrift really. <laughs> yeah. She'd be great if she didn't get so bossy about being in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And so on and so on and so on. Dukkha. Can we acknowledge Dukkha without, as a characteristic, 
we don't acknowledge it's a characteristic that's bound to be there, it becomes the first noble truth. We suffer because we've been unable to embrace, be open to, not get triggered by the defective, the incomplete, the things that break down. We get miserable, agitated, resentful, bitter around these things. There's always some idea you're going to say exactly right. We're going to have a totally just, fair, clean, straight, da-da-da-da-da, on time, punctual. (laughs) And and to do that, we have to bend the natural world into some absurd shape that's deeply stressing to try to create it and doesn't last. Then people get upset. Because it should have been. Learning to live with the unsatisfactory not to make you miserable, but to enable you to... I'm not getting bothered by that. Anatta, not self, nothing can be owned. Body can't be owned. Life can't be owned. There is no territory here that I can own and hold on to. Physical possessions, material possessions, one's own body... Um, Social scenarios, uh, I can't own it. Something we'd like to get it all nice and steady and then hold it. Hoarding. Non-owning. One aspect of anatta. Nothing can be owned. So what does that do to your wishing to own it? You start to, okay... This is not supposed to make you miserable. This is to get this to do that, to get the grip of the hands to loosen up. Nothing can be owned. So don't, don't, don't consume, don't, don't acquire anything more than you need and then let it pass. Anatta also means I can't control things. How annoyed do we get when we can't control the situation, what other people say about us. I like him only to say positive things and not say negative things. Mm. I like everybody to understand me and not misunderstand me. I want to get inside everybody's head with a screwdriver and make sure they see exactly the way I do. I want to be able to control it all. And I'll set up something that will do that. I want to be able to control my mind so my mind behaves properly. How much of meditation, spiritual practice is about trying to control things? I won't be bothered. What does that do? Yeah. So we're not just adopting philosophy. Just look at what ownership does to you. Fear of loss. Limitation. Lock it up. Lock him up. (laughs) Lock it up. What does control do to you? Grip. Hold. Get. Get your hands on it, don't let it move. Constriction. So it is anatta is just you know, loosen it, loosen it. And the recognition that actually you can glide and float and flow much more thoroughly and much more peacefully than gripping and holding and manipulating and defending otherwise 
you know, an enlightened Buddha would be totally miserable. <laughs> okay, so this is about unrestricted, what this means, and it's changing the baseline from the person, and the person at the baseline of personal judgments, personal interpretations, into something that can be subjectively experienced, such as contentment, such as letting go, such as uh, clarity, such as loving kindness towards oneself and others, such as dispassion towards feeling and emotion, mm. such as wisdom around one's mental activities and mental structures and assumptions and interpretations. Mm. This can be done. And then the mind is free, settled, more comfortable. 